Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. The election is over, but the analysis is just beginning. Democrats in Michigan pulled off a pretty major upset yesterday, winning all three statewide elected offices and at least apparently winning control of both houses of the legislature in Lansing. We are going to talk with a lot of the folks who have been covering this campaign about what all this means. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think of the election results? That's all next on Detroit Today. But first, the news from NPR. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. So we survived another election day here in Michigan, and things seem to go pretty well at the polls and with the counting. And we're just now starting to see what the results actually look like. And I got to say, they're pretty astonishing. We know, for instance, that Michiganders have chosen to enshrine the reproductive rights of women into the state's constitution, protecting the rights that women in our state and all over the country lost when Roe v. Wade was overturned by the U.S. Supreme Court earlier this year. We also know that Michigan Democrats had an historic night, as the Gongwar News Service is reporting that Dems have won majorities in both the state house and the Senate. Now, I was 12 years old in 1983, which was the last year that we had a Democratic majority in the Senate. It is not short of uh, an earthquake of change uh, to, to even imagine that Democrats would have that much power in Lansing. And of course, we saw the Democratic incumbents in the statewide offices also win re-election. Governor Gretchen Whitmer was re-elected, as were Attorney General Dana Nessel and Jocelyn Benson. We know less for certain on the national scale. This idea of who will be in charge in Congress is still in flux. And because of the rules in the state of Georgia, where if neither candidate in the Senate race there gets to 50 percent, they're going to have to have a runoff. Uh, I think everybody should be prepared for an extended period uh, of uncertainty. But as the dust continues to settle, it's time to start thinking about what does all this mean, especially here in Michigan? Where do we stand? What does this mean for the legislative agenda in our state and the executive agenda? What does it mean for uh, politics in our state? What are Republicans thinking about this morning? And how do they kind of regroup and figure out a way to do a little better at the polls? Remember, this was a midterm election with a Democrat in the White House. Lots of Republicans, lots of Republicans I know, were talking about the idea that uh, this would be a wave election, that uh, people would punish uh, the Democrats for what they say is the poor performance of President Joe Biden. It's not only that that hasn't happened here in Michigan, but that the opposite seems to have unfolded. So we've got a number of folks uh, on the roster today to join us and talk about all of these things and uh, start to unpack. First with us is Lauren Gibbons. She's a reporter who covers Michigan politics for Bridge Ma Michigan. Uh, she has uh, been covering all kinds of things, not just uh, local races, but also the congressional races. Uh, Lauren, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hey, thanks for having me. Also with us is Jordan Hermony. She is a political reporter with M Live, and she has been covering house races in the state uh, as well as some other things. Jordan, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So, as I said, Democrats had a pretty big night here in Michigan, winning these historic majorities in the state house and Senate, uh, while retaining the top three spots in the executive branch. Uh, let's start with why this is such a big deal and what it means. 
for Michigan. Lauren, I'll start with you. Yeah, it's really hard to overstate how good of a night Democrats had, especially in a midterm election year. Uh, this this was pretty extraordinary. Um, seeing seeing not only um, Governor Whitmer retain her seat, and with pretty big numbers, it's looking like, um, and and projected victories at, at this time. Uh, you know, both uh, the Attorney General and Secretary of State are leading um, in those races, and. Um, yeah, so so that's that's pretty significant in and of itself. But uh, to have a complete switch um, in in the uh, House and in the Senate in the legislature is a major major shift. And some of that um, was made possible by redistricting. Certainly, the Senate districts got a lot more competitive. But um, you know, it's not it's not all redistricting. Certainly, uh, <clears throat> House Democrats in several key seats likely benefited from some of the momentum that Democratic candidates were seeing. Yeah. Um, Jordan, going into yesterday, there were lots of folks who who thought that maybe the opposite would happen. I mean, there was there was some uh, hope that Republicans seemed to have that uh, that the majorities that uh, Gretchen Whitmer and the other statewides would win would be narrow enough uh, that they wouldn't have significant coattails uh, down the ticket and that uh, they might retain control of at least one of the houses uh, in Lansing. Talk about uh, what happened here that uh, produced the exact opposite. Well, for starters, I mean, in the week leading up to yesterday, we saw polling coming out that increasingly predicted more and more narrow uh, margins of victories down the ticket for uh, Democrats to the point where, you know, we were seeing headlines of uh, Matt DiPerno and, and Dana Nessel in a statistical dead heat. Um, and so that is an indicator for a lot of people, you know, if, if your top of the ticket races are going to be a lot closer than your down ballot races are, are probably going to be a lot more up for grabs. But I mean, when you look at it in, in terms of the House, for instance, uh, Democrats had been beating this drum that there was a path to victory that went through downriver districts. Hmm. And, you know, you really did see that area uh, sort of deliver for Democrats the other night. I mean, you had uh, uh, Darren Camilleri in the Senate. He he remained victorious. You had over uh, in the other side of the state, you had Joey Andrews in the House District, which was considered to be uh, House District 38, which was considered to be a hotly contested race. Um, you know, we're, we were seeing all across the state last night, these districts which were drawn, as Lauren rightfully pointed out, through uh, the redistricting process that took place last year, there was a lot more of a competitive edge. We saw a lot more spending pouring into key House and Senate races. Um, I'm thinking most notably the race between uh, Republican Representative Pamela Hornberger and uh, Democratic Representative Kevin Hertel. Uh, that's in the 12th Senate District. And that was decided by just over 400 votes, which is being reported by multiple media outlets, but hasn't officially been called by the AP yet. Um, that was considered to be the breaker right there to give Michigan Democrats a 1919 tie in the Senate, which gives the ability for Lieutenant Governor Garland Gilchrist to cast a deciding vote should we end up in a, in a tie in the Senate. Mm -hmm. um, in the House, we have a bit of a different story. There is a minor margin of victory there um, with multiple news outlets predicting a 56-54 Democratic majority. Um, but for Republicans hearing that today, um, that doesn't necessarily mean that you are going to experience a carte blanche democratic control, obviously with these very, very slim margins of victory. It's still going to come back on Democrats to be as bipartisan as possible to make sure that, you know, if they're interested in getting specific things uh, across the aisle, you know, certain types of tax cuts, they are going to really need to keep up and engender that bipartisan support. Yeah. So I want to talk a little about the issues that uh, may have motivated voters to do what they did yesterday here in in Michigan. And of course, I think you can't talk about that without talking about Proposal 3, which uh, was uh, was overwhelmingly approved. Um, but but Lauren, um, what was it that that 
that brings about this this kind of excitement and enthusiasm among Democratic voters at a time when uh, we all believe that uh, you know that that they would be outmatched with uh, with Republican enthusiasm. I mean, midterm elections are almost uh, uh, the most predictable kinds of elections the, that we hold, that the, the party in power, unless things are just going swimmingly, uh, really does take something uh, of a beating. So what was on people's minds here in Michigan uh, when they turned out, first of all, in the numbers that they did and then uh, made the decisions that they did? Democrats up and down the ticket bet hard on the idea that voters cared <clears throat> cared the most about the abortion issue. And by and large, it appears to be the case in a lot of these competitive seats. Uh, you know, as, as you mentioned, Proposal 3 won a decisive victory. And, you know, even in areas where Democrats didn't perform historically well, you know, we saw numbers showing that Proposal 3 was getting a lot of support, even from people who don't traditionally vote Democrat. So this, this was a huge, huge issue for voters. And you know, there were other issues floating around. A lot of Republican candidates were hitting pretty hard on inflation and the economy, for example, um, saying that they could bring a different direction to that. But Democrats in Michigan and elsewhere around the country were really focused on states having control of abortion rights. And in, in Michigan, we had this unique situation where in addition to all of these candidates, uh, they had the option to you know, chart a new course for abortion uh, legislation in Michigan. And so we saw how that affected a lot of these races, and clearly it fell in the favor of Democrats in a lot of these key races. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Other than uh, abortion and and Proposal 3, Jordan, uh, Republicans really wanted to talk about the economy, and they wanted to talk about inflation. Uh, the ads that we saw in the run-up to this election really did focus on the idea that uh, they think uh, President Biden is failing in that regard and that uh, they thought they could do better. Uh, in state House races, uh, I thought this would be uh, a really animating uh, issue, that that it would resonate in, in some of the places that you were just talking about that would be key. Uh, of course, we won't know uh, everything about what what was on voters' minds for a little bit, but but talk about how that didn't play as well, uh, maybe as the abortion issue, or or uh, maybe people were still thinking about the the fact that you have election deniers and and insurrectionists uh, on the ballot on on the Republican side. Yeah, I mean, as you pointed out, it, it kind of seems to be a culmination of things. So, I mean, Republicans did try and hit hard on the concept of inflation and, you know, rising gas prices. It's getting harder to go to the grocery store and affordably buy your groceries. But the thing is, is it, it somewhat came across as, as one note. There was that note. And then in several other key races, there was uh the, the concept of parental rights and education also made a large showing. Um, and it kind of mirrored what we were seeing nationally, which felt a little bit different from what Democrats were presenting, which was a, a lot of Democrats did uh, on, on election night last night, credit their win to bringing forward kitchen table issues, being able to talk about things that were actively affecting their specific jurisdictions that they were specifically running for. And I think that that resonated a little bit more with voters versus this sort of national nebulous concept of, you know, uh, uh, trans children in sports and, uh, you know, obviously inflation is affecting everyone everywhere. Um, but if in Michigan, if you're poised to potentially see abortion decriminalized, which I mean, as we or I'm sorry, criminalized, and as we now know, because of the passage of Prop 3, that is not going to happen. Um, you know, it, that motivated Democrats far more than I think it motivated Republicans. Now, that's not to say it didn't motivate Republicans, but especially in the instance of abortion, um, you you would see, I had heard in, in talking to Republicans, this sort of uh, mixed feelings about voting for certain candidates because, uh, you know, there are Republicans out there who might vote, you know, for 
uh, a Republican candidate for school board or or their local election, but might not feel the same way on a different candidate, such as like Tudor Dixon's stance on abortion. So I think those mixed feelings really played into things. The fact that uh, Republicans were continuing to hit on only a couple certain issues, while Democrats sort of seemed to uh, scatter what they were looking to hit on with their uh, constituents, keeping it hyper-local. Um, I think that that really did play quite to Democrats' advantages uh, when we were seeing people go into the polling booths last night. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm talking with Lauren Gibbons, who uh, covers politics for Bridge, Michigan, and with uh, Jordan Hermony, who is a political reporter for MLive. We're talking about yesterday's elections, uh, the midterm elections, which produced a fair number of surprises, at least at the state level here in Michigan. Democrats doing much better than anyone really expected and setting some real records and uh, hitting some real milestones in terms of uh, how well they did. Uh, For the first time in 40 years, it looks like uh, Democrats will have control of both chambers of the legislature uh, in Lansing. That's an incredible thing to happen in the middle of uh, a midterm election. Of course, we want to hear from you, our listeners, as well. While we talk about this, uh, give us a call and uh, tell us what you make of the blue wave, I guess, that we saw here in Michigan last night. Uh, Does this signal support for the Democratic agenda in your minds? Uh, Was this uh, a rejection of the Michigan Republican Party and uh, its entanglements with things like uh, election denial? and insurrection. Uh, Give us a sense of how surprised you were to see what happened here in Michigan yesterday. There were some polls that suggested uh, the opposite might happen, but of course most polls really did tell us uh, in the late uh, run-up to the election that that Democrats should be able to at least hold serve uh, in a midterm election. Um, Also, give us a sense of what's on your mind as Democrats take control in Lansing. What do you think they should focus on? How should they be dealing with issues like inflation and the other economic problems that we have? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we can include you in the conversation that way. Let's start today with John over on the east side. John, what's up? Well, you know, uh, I didn't. I went to bed and didn't listen to anything last night <laughs> in preparation for something that was uh, I thought was going to be a lot worse. And so, I got to say that uh, this is going to uh, favor uh, people working in the movie production because uh, we've been working on getting the tax incentives back for the last two or three years, mm. and uh, this is fantastic. We have. We have coworkers that are working in Boston, Texas, Ohio, and uh, now they can come back home and work here. And yeah, John, on. that's a, such an interesting issue to bring up because I, I got to say, in the last several years, I have really forgotten about the film incentives that we used to have here in Michigan. Uh, you know, Governor Rick Snyder uh, was not a fan of them and got rid of them with the help of the legislature. And I think most of us have kind of forgotten about that. But it's a good reminder that there are things that uh, Democrats in Lansing have wanted to do for a while and have had uh, difficulty getting them done because the Republicans have been in charge of uh, of the legislature. Um, so, uh, Lauren and uh, uh, Jordan, l- let's talk about what would be on that Democratic agenda. Is something like bringing back the film incentives? Boy, I hadn't I hadn't thought of that one. Uh, is that even uh, one of the things that's uh, that's possible? And if not, what what would they focus on? Jordan, I'll start with you this time. Well, I know for starters, I mean, the film incentive, I I can't speak too closely to, uh, like you pointed out, honestly, that had sort of just slipped slipped my mind. (laughs) We've all forgotten it. (laughs) There's there's no doubt that Democrats are going to be walking into the legislature come Thursday uh, with a sense of, okay, we have a four decades long laundry list of of items that we would like to see accomplished. Um, I know already off the bat, not speaking specifically to film incentives, but uh, House Minority Leader Donna Lazinski 
uh, a Democrat, has long been beating uh, this drum that should Democrats win uh, the House. They are promising a uh, House investigation of former House Speaker Lee Chatfield, a Republican uh, who stands accused of, of numerous things right now of a uh, uh, um, allegedly embezzling and um, you know using his office for improprieties. Uh, so th that's up there. You have Whitmer's tax agenda that she has tried to thrice push through uh, in this most recent legislature. Um, every time Republicans have come back with a version of their same plan, um, I know that the uh, earned income tax credit is something that is high up on Whitmer's list, um, bringing the EITC to 30%. I would be very shocked if we did not see some real groundwork being made on that um, come the start of next year, or heck, even even uh, towards the the end of this year. Um, and and you know that that being said, bringing up the end of this year, uh, entering into a, a period called lame duck, which individuals may not know, is is sort of where all of these outgoing legislators, uh, they they come in with their own sort of wish lists and, and things to accomplish before the end of the year. Um, Republicans, we should also be prepared for to see uh, sort of be sending their own wish list as much as they can uh, from now to the end of this year while they still have control of the legislature. So that's something we also should be looking out for. But in terms of Democratic wish lists, I would say first and foremost, uh, you're probably going to be looking at uh, tax tax cuts, uh, changes to the EITC, and potentially an investigation into the former House Speaker. Mm. Uh, Lauren, we're going to have to break in a, a few minutes, but uh, but give us your sense of what the agenda could look like come January. I would add that a huge, uh, a huge priority for Democrats is education. Uh, for a long time, Democrats and Republicans have diverged in a lot of key ways on how education should be funding, what priorities education um, both in K-12 and universities should be focused on, I would expect that to be a huge issue going into 2023. We already saw several education groups weigh in on the prospect of a Democratic trifecta, so I would say that's a major, major issue. But I would also add that, you know, with this, uh, with this big shakeup comes a lot of pressure, right? Uh, Democrats have not had this power in a long time. They're itching to use it. They have wanted it for a long time. But it will be really interesting to see how much they can get done. Can they deliver on all of this, uh, This, as Jordan said, laundry list of priorities that they've had for a long time? This is going to be a real test of Governor Whitmer now that she has a legislature who may be more amenable to some of her priorities. How much is she able to do? Yeah, right. And, and the danger of of potential uh, overreach, of course. Uh, my memory doesn't stretch back quite as far as it uh, as it should in this regard, but but I do re have a, a faint recollection of the last time Democrats had this kind of power, uh, them passing an, uh, a tax increase that resulted in some recalls that uh, that threatened that majority. So uh, you, you've always got to be mindful of uh, of not overstepping uh, what voters have have given you. Okay, uh, Lauren Gibbons and Jordan Hermony, really great to have both of you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks so much for joining. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we are going to continue talking about yesterday's election results. Uh, we're going to be joined by two more really great observers. Republican political consultant Dennis Darnoy will join us. And Gongwer News Service managing editor Alethea Kasbin will also continue to hear from you on the phones and on social. David in Birmingham, Stephanie in West Bloomfield, Jake in Royal Oak. We will hear from you next. If you want to join them, the phone are pretty clogged, but we can uh, get to you when we can. 313-577-1019 is the number. That's 313-577-1019. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Bringing you news that matters. Stories that impact your life. Music from the Motor City and around the world. This is 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. Detroit 
today on 1019 WDET. Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. As we've discussed, Democrats overperformed expectations here in Michigan, sending majorities to the state House and Senate while reelecting the state's Democratic governor, attorney general, and secretary of state. Michigan voters also enshrined reproductive freedom, voter reforms, and modified term limits and increased financial disclosures into uh, the Constitution as well. So what does all this mean for Michigan Republicans? And what are we seeing in other races that affect the state? To help us unpack more of what happened yesterday, we want to continue our conversation about the elections with two more great guests. Dennis Darnoy is a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data and a frequent contributor to the show. Also uh, with us is Alethea Kasbin. She is the managing editor at Gongwer News Service in Michigan. Uh, they have been called, they have called the races in the state house and Senate for Democrats. Uh, Dennis, welcome back to Detroit today. Good morning, Stephen. Thank you for having me on. Yeah. And Alethea, great to have you here with us as well. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me this morning. So I'm going to start with you, uh, Alethea. How were Democrats able to take back the state house and Senate. I do remember when we were going through the redistricting exercise last year, people saying "Mm, these lines seem like they give Democrats an opportunity uh, to be more competitive uh, in some of those races. I don't think anybody I talked to predicted that in the very first cycle, you would see Democrats take majorities and in the Senate do that for the first time in 40 years. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely right. They, especially in the Senate, the lines really created a more competitive environment, but there was still, you know, this idea that it was more of a jump ball. It wasn't handing, you know, the the chamber to the to the Democrats. There, you know, was still going to be a fight for it, and it was, you know, going to be a close one. So they were, you know, really able to get good good candidates in and just have everything, you know, go right for them. Um, last night, yesterday slash today. I don't know what day it is anymore. <laughs> um, and, you know, for the for the House, you know, the, the Republicans still had an edge. And it's interesting because even, you know, the two seats that really sealed the majority for the Democrats in the House were two Macomb County seats that Republicans seem to have the edge in. So, you know, a lot of things were turned on, on their heads in these elections last night um, that, you know, led to these the, the the big win for the Democrats getting, you know, the trifecta in Lansing. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, Dennis, I, I want to have you talk just a little about uh, what what your takeaway is from yesterday. Uh, you and I talked a few weeks ago uh, about the midterm elections, and again, I don't think either of us was was speaking in terms like what uh, what we saw happen uh, when voters actually went to to the polls. Uh, analysts said this was supposed to be a, a, a red wave, and that makes sense given the predictable history of midterm elections. Why, in your estimation, was this one so different, at least in Michigan? Well, uh, Republicans, where they did well were in counties that uh, numerically don't influence the election as much as maybe some of the other counties. And so when we were looking at margins of victories uh, and margins of defeat, what Democrats were were able to do is in areas that had been and still went for Republican uh, candidates, they were able to uh, successfully reduce the number of votes that they lost by while increasing in Democratic-leaning areas the number of votes that they won by. Um, and it's fascinating to see how, you know, in, in an area like Grand Traverse and Leland on Benzie, how increasing, you know, flipping those seats then flipped a state house seat, which in part, you know, gave control of the state house over to, to Democrats. Um, so again, where, where you can say that Tudor Dixon actually outperformed uh, Bill Schuette in in a number of counties. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem is that even you know by increasing those margins there, um, you know she lost in areas um, that she needed to win in, and then the margin of defeat in areas like Kent, like Macomb, um, you know, it contributed to the overall you know uh, downfall of Republicans across the state. Yeah, um, Dennis, I want to talk about Oakland County in particular because you and I have talked 
before about the change in Oakland County, the demographic change in Oakland County that has translated into a political change. Uh, Democrats control uh, politically uh, uh, all of the the, the major offices now in, in Oakland, something that is also pretty astonishing given the history there. But Governor Whitmer's performance uh, yesterday in Oakland was notable, I think. Uh, and it goes to this point you're making about Tudor Dixon extending you know, her lead in uh, some places. But really, there's not another way to put it. She got wiped out in Oakland County. Uh, and the fact that she didn't uh, win Macomb as well uh, really made it just impossible to overcome the governor's margins. What, what, what went on in Oakland County yesterday? Well, again, I mean, mathematically, you, you, you've seen this slide. In, in 2016, uh, Democrats at the top of the ticket won Oakland by eight percentage points. In 2018, it was 17. In 2020, it re- was reduced to 14. And then last night, it was uh, up to uh, you know 23 percent that Democrats won by Oakland County. And and really what you're seeing are the issues, you know, that motivate suburban voters. And we saw that abortion was the number one issue that motivated Michigan voters to, to go to the ballot. Um, you saw an influx of younger female voters uh, in Oakland County coming out to vote. Um, so all of the issues that, that were, you know, pressing to, to those voters uh, were the ones that Governor Whitmer um, and the Democratic t- ticket was, you know, very, very favorable on. And, um, you know, again, that that's the fuel of the fire. And, and, and when Republicans are talking about other things, whether it's about denying elections, whether it's, you know, focusing on issues that the voters are not that concerned about, um, really, you know, ends up hurting them. And yes, inflation was certainly, uh, and cost of living was certainly an issue that was on voters' minds. But it was, it was, you know, far below what uh, abortion was, and just Republicans were on the wrong side of that issue. Yeah. Uh, Alethea, now the Democrats have uh, <clears throat> so much power in Lansing, more power than they have had, again, in, in 40 years. I'm curious about what you think will be on the governor's mind, uh, on the person who will be the Speaker of the House or the Senate Majority Leader. Uh, this is, this is a, not just a, a lot of opportunity. Opportunity, it's a lot of responsibility, and they have two years, I guess, to prove to voters that they made the right choice. What What do you think will be some of their first moves? Yeah, I mean, like you said, it, it is a lot of pressure. It's something that they've wanted for a long time, and now you know they really have to, you know, to put it bluntly, not screw it up, right? So, I think you know, repealing the right to work law has to be one of the the top priorities, um, I would think, on a Democratic legislature's mind. I think, you know, campaign finance changes, different election law changes, um, environmental regulations. Um, you know, there's, you know, so many things that could come up, even, you know, minor things like changing, you know, language and the laws or repealing um, things that might deal with, you know, banning gay marriage and laws that aren't even, you know, in effect anymore, but just taking them off the books. Um, You know, even with Prop 3 passing, they could just take the 1931 law off the books just so it's gone. Um, You know, things like that, you know, could could take up a lot of time. And they're going to be in charge, um, you know, of the budget for the first time in a very long time. Uh, so now they have, you know, this six billion dollar surplus plus whatever you know happens um, with the the regular incoming of funds next fiscal year. And you know, there's a lot that you know they did on education with the Republicans, but there's still plenty that they would have done differently if you know Dems were in full control. So I think we could see you know, even a bigger shakeup of, um, you know, some of our budget priorities, particularly in education, you know, next term. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm talking with uh, Dennis Darnoy, a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data, and with uh, Lethia Kasbin, who's managing editor at Gongwar News Service in Lansing. We're talking about the election results from yesterday and some of the stunning results, in fact, here in the state of Michigan, uh, the power that Democrats will have come January because of the way people voted yesterday. Uh, we want to hear from you about the things that uh, you take away from this election. Are 
Are you pleased with the results? Uh, are you excited about Democratic majorities in, in Lansing? Are you excited about the proposals uh, that passed all three by pretty wide margins? Uh, they will bring us uh, reproductive rights enshrined in the Constitution, uh, more voter reforms, uh, making access to the ballot a little easier for folks, and uh, our term limit uh, provisions in the state will be different now. Uh, and there will be more uh, disclosure uh, imposed on uh, public officials. Uh, as always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Uh, let's go to Marilyn in Oak Park. Marilyn, what's on your mind? Good morning, Stephen. I'm I'm just so happy that the pollsters and pundits finally lost. And I will add, if the shoe fits, wear it. <laughs> uh, so, I, I, Marilyn, I, I I understand your sentiment there. I'm not sure that the polls got this wrong. I think uh, I think two things. Uh, I think you had to look at the aggregate of. The polls that were taken, and there were lots, and of course, in the last few weeks, um, and they were some of them were uh, were real outliers, I think, uh, from from the others. But if you took them all together, uh, I think they were they were pretty close to predicting what was going to happen, at least in the statewide races. The other thing that I think is true is that uh, Republican, um, not just uh, candidates, but but also. Uh, Republican advocates uh, were, were misinterpreting, and whether they were doing it on purpose or not is is something to be determined later. But they were badly misinterpreting what the polls were saying um, and calling these races as much closer than any of the polling data, at least from the reputable firms, actually said it was. And so I think we've got to be careful uh, about who we think is responsible. You know, for for people maybe misunderstanding what what went on. I'm not sure it's the pollsters. I th- I think uh, there was a pretty concerted effort here to confuse people about what the polls were saying. Dennis, I'm I'm curious about your take on this, given the the work that you do. Yeah, you know, and and for example, I, I think there was a recent poll from uh, the Detroit News and WDIV that called the race, the governor's race, at 8.5 percent, and I it think. Did. That, you know, and the, that's exactly what we're looking at uh, here. You did have some people try to come in late and say, oh, it's a, you know, two-point race for the Republican candidate. But I think, you know, what what you see with that is, uh, you know, there's a, there's a, a site that would aggregate poll results. Uh, and I think you had at the end some some you know Republican-aligned pollsters and and companies come in and try to change the narrative, if you will, and put out polls that were not necessarily accurate, uh, which would you know maybe make the race look like it was closer than it than it really was, um, with the intent to kind of change the narrative and try to build you know momentum, and that's not really the point of, of polling. So um, I would hope. Um, that, uh, you know, I, I, you know, I like Maryland sentiment, and I think what I would like to see is maybe two years from now, can we have some type of independent standards uh, that would, you know, say which polls are going to, you have to release your cross tabs, you have to release your methodology, certain things that you have to do in order to, to give the polling uh, the, the coverage and, and, and the notoriety uh, that it deserves, because there are some people who are going to put out things, not reveal their methods, um, and, and they're doing that intentionally to, to fool voters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Uh, let's go to Claire in Livonia. Claire, welcome to the show. Hi, good morning. Thanks Hi. for having me. Mm-hmm. So I, I just wanted to say that I think I agree that this uh, election cycle was a referendum, at least in the state of Michigan, on election deniers and what happened in January 6th, as well as abortion rights. Um, but for me, I think this is an opportunity for Democrats going forward. I'm a registered Democrat, but tend to lean more um, independent, and I really would encourage Democrats to govern in a more centrist way and take this opportunity to maintain independent voters going forward. Huh. So, so Claire, um, tell me uh, more about what that 
what that means. I'm, I'm really curious um, uh, about what you want them to do and maybe what you don't want them to do. Well, I think, you know, a balanced look at, tax, you know, tax legislation, um, you know, I think maintaining some sort of um, rainy day fund is important. I don't I want to see that eaten up with um, a lot of legislation that wouldn't allow us to be able to weather maybe a recession that could go on for a period of time. Mm-hmm. I think um, for me, focus on education is important uh, as I have young kids. And I think just some of the things that maybe Republicans focus on with parents' rights um, as a you know parent, um, you know, vaccine choice is important to me, even though I tend to be Democrat. And so I think that there's things across the aisle that Democrats need to be aware of that when we're looking at independent voters that they can do or not do to, to maintain that part of the voters that, you know, swept them into office this time. Yeah. No, uh, Claire, I'm, I'm really glad you called. Uh, and I'm really glad you said that because I think there are a lot of voters uh, who who think the way you do and and who made choices yesterday kind of anticipating that. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I'm going to get our guest's reaction uh, to what Claire was saying. We'll also get to more folks on the phones and on social media. 313-577-1019 is the number. And you can hashtag us on Twitter and we'll include you in the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Our guest right now. Our Dennis Darnoy, who's a Republican political consultant who tracks voter data, and Alethea Kasbin, who's a managing editor at Gongwar News Service uh, in Lansing. We're talking about yesterday's election results and uh, the big wins by Democrats here in the state of Michigan. Uh, before we uh, took a break, we had a caller from Livonia, Claire from Livonia, who talked about uh, being an independent who voted for Democrats uh, this time. Uh, excited about the possibility for the things that they might do, but also cautioning them against uh, against overreach, saying that to, to keep independent voters like her, uh, they need to be careful uh, about not overstepping uh, this mandate. I want to get our guests' reaction to that. Alethea, uh, th- this idea of the, the, the power of independent voters here in Michigan has been around a long time. I think yesterday really, really showed uh, how powerful they are, that they, they, they decide elections. And as Claire said, uh, Democrats are going to want to keep those voters. And that means doing things in a particular way. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think, um, you know, with taking, you know, all three three branches of government, they're just, you know, you're going to want to not go a little too crazy. But I think what Democrats would argue is that their policies um, you know, aren't too far to the left. They do, you know, attract independent voters and maybe that's why they voted for them after, you know, so many years of Republican control. And, you know, I think Democrats know too, like they see this map, um, you know, that they won with and know that it's not, you know, super liberal areas that gave them this win, you know, as areas like Macomb County, uh, a couple of counties in the UP, the Northwest, um, you know, part of the state and Grand Traverse, Leland on a little bit of Benzie, like those are not all, you know, those are those are tight districts. Um, and, you know, they also have to think about, you know, trying to get elected in the upcoming elections, right? You're already thinking to 2024 in some cases. Um, and this term limits change, right, is going to keep more members, particularly in the House, able to run again. So it's going to limit the map too for Democrats that they want to try to expand this majority. So while there's a lot of things that they I'm sure want to do, um, you know, I don't think it's going to be necessarily, you know, that maybe the Ann Arbor members who, you know, are writing every single, you know, bill here. Mm, yeah. Uh, Dennis, uh, talk about again, uh, the constraints that will be on Democrats, even though they have complete control, uh, if they want to keep it, uh, independents are, are, are key to that. Oh, absolutely. And, um, you know, I, I think uh, both, you know, Claire and, and Alicia are right when they say that the, the Democrats, while they have a fantastic opportunity for these next two years, 
I mean, they do have to recognize the fact that, I mean, even uh, even our congressional delegation, 7-6 Dem, uh, two-seat majority in the House, uh, two-seat majority in the Senate. Um, so you know, there isn't a lot of room to, to pursue uh, items or issues that, that may be too far left to the political spectrum. Um, so, you know, as, as Claire mentioned, are there some tax issues, like maybe the retirement tax, um, that, that you can find some common ground on? I think even there will be some social issues, such as maybe codifying uh, Elliot Larson, that, um, as you see with, with Prop 3 yesterday, there's going to be room where, where Republicans, um, you know, can get on board with, with some of the social, um, some of the social issues that uh, Democrats might want to, to move on. Um, so, again, it's a fantastic opportunity for Democrats, but I'd also say I think it's a great opportunity for Republicans to maybe recalibrate what they've been doing over the past four years. And, and now they get the opportunity, uh, and, and they have to accept the reality that they are now the loyal opposition. And I think that they can govern, uh, or I should say challenge, the majorities in the House and the Senate in a way um, that, that says, you know, we are still pretty much a, a purple state. Um, and, and pursue and, and push policies that, uh, you know, will challenge Democrats to, to maybe find some middle ground and, and work with them, because um, that is the role they're going to have to play. They are, they are now the minority in this state, um, and so, you know, now, now they have to act as a minority party. Okay, I'm going to go back to the phones here. Uh, let's go to Art in West Bloomfield. Hi, Stephen. Thank you. Um, I, I I really struggled with um, my selections this year because typically I I don't vote all Republican or all Democratic, um, but the the two key things for me were uh, the abortion issue and and protecting women's right to make the decision, and um, not wanting to support candidates who believe that the election was a fraud. So and I I couldn't find very many Republicans I could vote for, and that was one of the key things. Even called their office and said, you know, do you um, believe the election was a fraud, and if they said yes, they they lost my vote. And so, and um, so, did you vote for for Democrats instead? I, I vote largely for Democrats this time, which is something I'd never really done before. Wow, wow, Art, I'm really glad uh, you called to, to share that perspective. Uh, again, we love to hear from people who have a number of different uh, ways of thinking this through. Dennis, uh, uh, react to that that kind of Republican take on what re- the Republican Party stands for. I mean, the idea that an election denier was at the top of the ticket uh, on the Republican side this time, I think, was not a minor uh, a minor issue. Apparently, it, it resonated with some voters. Well, again, absolutely. And I think, you know, art uh, reflects uh, something that we saw in the numbers yesterday. One of the biggest election deniers, of course, was the Republican nominee for Secretary of State. And so when, you know, Art sort of talks about being a ticket splitter this this past cycle, you can see how uh, there were a number of people who voted for uh, the Republican candidate for governor in AG and then moved and voted for the Democratic candidate for secretary of state. Um, I mean, that's the challenge for Republicans uh, as they as they run statewide and even in, in some of these uh, legislative seats. Who do you want to talk to? I mean, do you want to talk to the majority, you know, the majority of people, the majority of voters, um, or do you want to talk to the minority, which happens to be the Republican base that wants to relitigate something that occurred two years ago, um, that wants to deny the reality of, of having clean and fair elections here in Michigan? Um, thankfully, we saw Republicans re-engage in the absentee uh, ballot voting process, uh, where two years ago uh, they tried to call that into question and, and basically unilaterally disarm themselves. Um, so, yeah, again, this is the challenge for Republicans. What do you want your message to be? And now that you're in the minority, I think you have to hone that and speak to more people because Michigan does have a lot of ticket splitters. Um, there are people willing to vote for candidates based upon where they stand on the issues and less on, on whether or not they're a Republican or a Democrat. So, you know, Art is that type of voter that, that promises, a, a, you know, the opportunity for Republicans, if and only if they will speak to the issues that are important to hit those type of voters. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, thanks very much uh, for the call, Art. Uh, let's go next to Jake Neer, who is calling from Royal Oak and used to be the senior producer here 
on the trade today. Uh, Jake, it's uh, 9.56, so you know how uh, little time you have to talk, but uh, but go ahead. Stephen, I couldn't help myself but call in today. It's just uh, such an interesting day. But the one thing I wanted to underline, uh, for one thing, I'd reiterate what uh, Alethea said, that uh, watch for big repeals like right to work. And Stephen, you and I have talked about this before, the emergency manager law. Will that be on the agenda? That'll be interesting. Um, Hmm. But also, the thing I think that I'm watching is having covered the legislature, there's such a big difference between the role of being in the minority and the majority party. None of these Democrats have been in a leadership role where they can set the agenda. So it's going to be a steep learning curve in that way for these lawmakers, and I think that's going to be really interesting to watch. That's a really great point, uh, Jake. I'm glad you called the media. Alethea Kasbin, I wonder if you can talk just a little about uh, that leadership role that uh, we'll see Dems try to try on uh, in the next uh, two years. Again, we've only got about a minute left, but go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I think Jake is, is absolutely right. It's going to be, and you are as well, that it's going to be, you know, a huge learning curve. Um, and they're just, they're going to have to learn quick if they want, you know, use all the time that they have. Um, and, you know, Republicans are also going to have to learn how to be in the minority. Uh, you know, very few of them have served in a time when they weren't in control. And it can be uncomfortable. You get shot down a lot. Um, there's a lot of yelling, you know, so it'll be really interesting to see these roles reversed, um, you know, when, when this term starts up in January. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Dennis Darnoy and Alethea Kasbin. It was really great to have both of you here with us on Detroit Today. Thanks for joining us. Thank you for having us. Yeah. Thanks, Stephen. Okay, that's going to do it for us today. Come back tomorrow when uh, we are going to talk a little more about the election results. We might know a little more about the national results. We'll continue to talk about what's going on here in Michigan. Uh, Also, we want to continue to hear from you. What are you making of all of the results that we're seeing from Tuesday? This is 1019 WDETFM, Detroit's NPR station. Your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.